Bible to the book of Hosea. We are going to start tonight the series we call Majoring on the Minors. And so, uh, you know, in life that's usually not a good thing, but in this, in this series, you know, I think it's a good thing. Um, they're called minor prophets not because they're of less importance, but because they're, just, they're less, less long-winded than what the major prophets were. You know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, Isaiah, all these guys had pretty good-sized books that they wrote. Um, Hosea and the rest of those guys, they, they kind of kept it short, so we're going to cover each one of them um, in the next, uh, say, 12 weeks. We're going to break it into two six-week series. We're going to do six, the first six of them um, this, in this, this first series, and we'll take a little break, and we'll do some from the New Testament, and then we'll go back to the, the final six um, minor prophets later on in the summer. But I do want to encourage you. Um, I, I learned this whenever we did the, the series on the 12 apostles where we talked about um, their life and how they were kind of martyred and how their life kind of, and the, the things they did with their life after, after um, they got the commission from Jesus and how, the, it, it, how it brings them to life and how you relate to what the Bible says more when you get a personal experience and um, you kind of put yourself in the shoes of some of these things. And so we want to do it with these prophets. I know a lot of us look at the books of the minor prophets and we go, yeah, there's nothing there for me. I can't understand half those prophecies they were talking about anyway. But you've got to realize that these were humans just like us. These are people that God wanted to use and speak through just like us. And they've got a message that is very, very vital and very viable and very useful for the church today. And so when we understand the theme of what their, what their, what their book they wrote was about and, and how, God can, uh, how God has spoken through them, how the things they're saying, even way back then, are coming, have come to pass and we're seeing them come to pass even, even today, you realize that God's got an important message for us in every word of the Bible, not just, not just the ones we understand a little better. So um, we're going to seek to get some more understanding on, the, on these guys. And um, some background information about Israel during this time. Um, Israel, at the time of the Minor Prophets, was divided into two kingdoms. They had a little rebellion after Solomon um, came off the throne, and the nor- there was a northern kingdom, and then there was a southern kingdom, which was Judah and, and Benjamin, and then there was a northern kingdom that was, was all the rest of them. And so uh, whenever, whenever, you, whenever you look at it, you know, you'll see two different kings over Israel. It's not what it seemed like at the same time. Really, one was the northern king over the northern kingdom, one was the king over the southern kingdom. So it's just um, your basic Old Testament survey 101 stuff, but... Uh, um, kind of keep that in mind as we go. So what we'll do as, as we introduce each of these prophets before we talk about the message of their book, we'll give you a little bit of background information on them so that, that you know which kingdom they were in, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And so we'll kind of give you those, those details as we go so you know exactly what their audience was. But um, they're, no matter who their audience was, we're the audience today, and God's got things to say to us through them. So we're going to um, jump into them with, with both, both feet right here and right now. So um, we're going to talk about Hosea tonight. And we'll... Our first scripture will be in Hosea chapter 11, but um, we'll, we'll start right here with, uh, with what's, what's on this outline. Hosea was a prophet to Israel, or the northern kingdom, during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which, which occurred in about approximately 740 B.C. Israel enjoyed a time of prosperity during his reign, but because of that prosperity, became very idolatrous. And, and, and you'll see a lot of parallels between um, Israel then and the United States today, if, you, if, you, if, you'll, pay, if you'll pay attention. Um, the prosperity... If, the, if you get too focused, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if you get too focused on the blessing, you lose track of the blesser. And that's what happened, and a, lot, that's what happened a lot of times in, in Israel. And so we'll see that taking place here as we study out the book of Hosea as we go on. Um, Israel had diluted their belief by mixing, with other, by mixing with other religions. You know, if you were to take the oil that you put in a car, just because you wanted to save some money, and you put half, I mean, mix it up with water and shake it up and then pour it in your car engine, you know, about 100 miles down the road, you're going to realize you made a mistake. Well, it's the same thing with your faith. It's the same thing with what you believe with, with, with the Word of God. If you begin mixing in other things with it because there's a little bit of maybe a little bit of truth in them, you're going to get to a place to where something's not working in your faith. And it's because you've diluted your faith down 
with it, with, by, um, by adding, other, adding other religions on the mixing, mixing things in with it. And that's just what Israel did. Because there was a little bit of truth in some of these other religions, I thought, well, we'll just pile it all together. We'll have a whole bunch of truth in one big pile. Well, they had some truth in there, but they had a bunch of other uh, mess in there at the same time. So um, that's, that's what was happening there. They had invited in other, other countries, and because they became the, the, the dominant c- country in the world or the kingdom in the world at the time, you know, they, a lot of other people were seeking trade and things with them. And when they did that, you know, they, they began to move in there and um, they began to receive other, other um, gods and other um, idolatry type things. And um, throughout that whole thing, that whole situation, um, every time you, you, you see the word idolatry, God equates it with adultery. Because you're, leave, you're, leaving, you're leaving your first love, you're leaving that covenant you were in, and you were turning to someone else. And so keep that in mind as we go through this. Now, um, most people during this time, and here's another kind of fun parallel, were preoccupied with politics and military matters, but Hosea, Hosea kept his message on idolatry. You know, and, and um, in our country today, it would, be, it would behoove us, that's kind of a cool word, I like to say it every now and then, it would behoove us to um, seek, seek God and continue to keep our focus on God and who He is in Him in the right place and not let the other things come in and begin, to, and begin to mix us up. I know there's other things going on in the world that we should probably be aware of, but we, if we keep our focus on, on God and make Him our priority and keep, our, keep, keep from becoming idolatrous and other, and other things, then God will take care of everything else and He'll lead us, he'll lead us accordingly. And so, Hosea had a wife. Her name was Gomer. And um, I always think of Gomer Pyle. I'm sorry, but that's just... I don't see Gomer being a female name, but that's just, that's just the way it worked. But um, game Gomer, and she, and she had three children who God instructed Hosea to give specific names. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit, a little bit more as we get down here, but um, the, Bible, the Bible says, in, 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 the, in the first chapter, it says, God told Hosea to go choose a wife of whoredom. I'm like, that's just not a fun way to pick a wife. You know, that's not what I go looking for, you know. When, uh, and so, here's, here's the thing. When you, when you read that and you break it down, you break down how it's translated, what God was saying is, all of Israel right now is, is, is adulterous. All of Israel is in a mess right now. And all of Israel is not seeking me. All of Israel is going after these, these other gods. And so when he said, choose a wife of whoredom or choose a wife of adultery, what he was saying was, take your pick. Everybody's adulterous. And so you can see through, through some, of the first, some of the first chapters, some of the first verses we read, that she was actually faithful at first. She actually had a, a son that the Bible specifically says was, was to Hosea, was from Hosea. So as, as it goes on, um, God, God made Hosea's life, not just his words, prophetic. And so when you, when you look at the life of Hosea, God, God used his life as a, as a living example of how God felt about, about the idolatry and the adultery that Israel was committing. His first son was named Jezreel, meaning God sows or God scatters. And this was referring to the slaughter that um, happened with Ahab back back in the days of, of Elijah, where, um, where, where, God, where God scattered Ahab across the desert because of, because of his idolatrous ways and because of what, how, what he allowed Jezebel to do. And so what, he, what God was saying through this is, I'm warning you that if you don't change your ways, what happened then is going to happen again. And things are going to happen. So God was being prophetic in the name that he gave, the, um, gave to Hosea and Gomer's son, Jezreel. Now, Je, um, Gomer had two more children, but there's only one child that says, was what it says specifically was from Hosea. The other two just said she conceived, she conceived, and it didn't say, so it doesn't say that she, they weren't from, weren't from him, but it doesn't say that they were, and the first one specifically says that, that he was, so kind of take it how you want to, but um, I kind of am of the opinion that um, they weren't his, but because of her unfaithfulness, she had children through other means. So um, he had a daughter, or she had a daughter named Lou, Lo Ruhama, meaning mercy not obtained or not pitied. And so God was saying, God was saying through, through her that um, 
keep going the way you're going, and I'm not going to pity you much longer. You're not going to get mercy much longer. God is warning him, saying, hey, keep up your ways. I don't want to not give you mercy, and we'll talk about that towards the end. I'm wanting to give you mercy. I want to extend my mercy to you, but if you keep doing what you're doing, I'm not going to be able to. You're stepping up too far from under my covering, and you're, 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 you're cruising for a bruising. Now, that was old school. Well, anyways. He then, she, she conceived another son. His name was Lo-Ami, which means not my people. So you can see they didn't take the message. Um, when, when, whenever they get to the place where God is prophesying that, okay, you're not my people much longer because you're having to, you're, I mean, you're turning away and you're going, you're going in the wrong direction. And so God, is, God is, was not wanting to make that heartbreaking choice, but he was warning them about, about their actions. So if you're in Hosea chapter 11, or it's here on your handout, um, we'll just talk about, about breaking God's heart. It says in verse 1 of Hosea 11, it says, When Israel was a child, and this is God reminiscing, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. And in Hosea, whenever you see the word Ephraim, he's equating Ephraim as Israel, so it's a synonymous name with Israel. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I had healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to, to them and I fed them. And so God was, God was beginning to lament, and God was beginning to, to um, be very, very brokenhearted about the, about the adultery that Israel was committing on him. God said, I brought them out of Egypt. I, I, I brought them out of, this, out of this bondage, and I brought them to Israel, and they were laden down with all the blessings they could need, and I brought them through the wilderness, and I brought them to the promised land, and they turned away. They left the very blessing that they were seeking for me. That wasn't enough for them. They wanted to go find it other places. And they said, that, well, if we've got gold here, but they've got gold over there, then we can try and get theirs too. And they began seeking idols, and they began seeking other things to obtain the blessing of God because they got their mind on the blessing and not on the blesser. It's easy to think that Almighty God would be self-sufficient, but the book of Hosea shows that God is loving and seeks those who will love him in return. And, here, and here's something that we, we, we learn through relationships that by giving great love and by, by pouring out a lot of love, you open yourself up for great hurt. And God, in spite of the fact that he knew there was great hurt coming, he still chose to love us with, with the big heart that he had. You know, because we've all been in relationships, we've all been in, in um, family situations, we've all, we've all been in, in situations where we've experienced hurt, because why? Those, those the closest to us can hurt us the worst. Those that we let, the close, those, those that we let come in the most have the, have the, the quickest shot. You know, and, and, as, and as unfair as life is and as tough as life is, the, those, that we, those that we love the most and those that we, that we keep the closest to us have the potential of causing us the most harm. God knew this, even, and in spite of knowing this, he still tried to keep Israel close. He still tried to keep Israel in, in his arms. He still tried to pour his love out upon them, but they continued, they continued to hurt him. They continued to, to um, be adulterous towards him. The fact that such a massive God concerns himself over being betrayed by so small a people Shows us that he has the largest of hearts. I, I, love, I love that because we, how easy would it be for God just to, to wipe the slate clean? How easy would it be for God just to say, just shake the earth off of all the people and say, let's start over? But no, because he chose, because he made a covenant with us, because he chose to honor his word towards us and his love towards us, he doesn't do that. He chooses to let his love be poured out to us again and again in spite of the fact that we are apt to hurt him again and again. And that's how, that's, how we are. that's how we are as people. We need to learn after we get hurt to, to love again. We need to learn how to continue to extend the love of God to people, even though we know people have the potential of hurting us. I know people in all, from, you know, just countless numbers of people that they, they stopped going to church because they were hurt by someone else at church. And 
I promise you, church hurt can be some of the worst hurt, and family hurt can be some of the worst hurt, and divorce hurt can be some of the worst hurt. But you've got to allow God to come in just like he does and choose to love again. Because the love of God is what makes your life full. The love of God is what brings you to a place to where, to where you can be made whole and be, and be healed. And so you've got to allow yourself to love. The bigger the heart, the greater the capacity to love, the greater the pain that is experienced. So God had a lot of love for his people, but he still went through that pain because his people were turning their back on him. And so like I said, therefore the ones who love you, you love the most are the ones who are capable of hurting you the most. And so like we said, Hosea's life was, was prophetic, not just his words. And here's where Hosea 1 verse 2 says, When the Lord spoke, to, spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So was Hosea, and we talked about this some, was Hosea really instructed to marry an adulterous prostitute? Here's what you've you got to realize, is that before any sin is committed with the hand, it's already been committed in the heart. Before, there's, there's not, I guess there can't be, there's not many accidents when it comes to sinning. Usually if you've sinned, it's because you've consciously thought out, well, you know what, I'm, I'm having a weak moment, and you fall back into whatever situation, or you, or you commit a sin, and it's done first in the heart, and then done, and then done by the hand. And so we, we've got to get to that place to where we realize that she was in a position, she, was, she belonged to a family who was idolatrous. All of Israel was idolatrous at the time. And so the potential was there, just like it was with us when God loves us. The potential was there for her to be unfaithful. The potential was there for her to turn her back and go, and go, the, ways of, go the ways of the idols and the ways of the world. But God said, go ahead and choose her anyways. Hosea, being a godly man, being a prophet, was probably looking for someone who was from a godly family, for someone who hadn't strayed. And God said, you know what? Just go ahead and marry, just go ahead and marry somebody because it's not looking too good right now for you. And so... And so uh, he, he went ahead and did what God said. He, he, married, he married Gomer. And the Bible says she was a, a very beautiful woman. And, um, but she had, the, she had the same seeds planted on the inside of her. She was, she was, um, she was idolatrous just by nature. And just because of, because of the, the, the background she was brought up in. And so God, saw the, God, saw, God showed Hosea through, 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 through what he went through with Gomer just how God felt about the, the idolatry that um, and the adulterous um, means that the Israelites were, were pouring, back in, pouring back onto him. And so, like I said, Gomer bore Hosea a son. And so apparently she was faithful at first, but quickly after that she became unfaithful. Now, like we were saying, we've got to, we've got to, deal, we've got to deal with this, and God realizes this, and God, God knew when he created man in the first place that there was potential for her. There was potential for harm. He knew that when he created Adam and Eve that he was going to give them a choice because, because forced love is not love at all. And so when, when, God, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them free will and he said, I give you one choice out of this, out of this, whole, out of this whole garden. I give you one choice to, to not do. And instead of taking from the tree of life, and that's what all, that's, that's what still boggles my mind. They, they could go to the tree of life any and all the time, as much as they wanted to, but instead they chose the one tree that God said not to touch. The one simple choice they had to make to stay in love with God, to stay in relationship with God, and, they were, and when they were deceived into taking it. And so we've got, we've got to come to the place and realize that by nature as people, we, 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 we're, born, we're born into that. But at the same time, God has redeemed us and God has restored us so we can get, come to a place where we can um, love him the way, he needs, the way he desires to be loved. And so Israel began putting more value on the blessing of God than they did on God himself. And so when you begin to seek satisfaction in created things rather than the creator, 
you've already slipped into adultery. When you, when you begin seeking satisfaction, you say, when you say, God, you're not moving fast enough. God, this, isn't, this, this miracle hasn't come through yet. God, this situation has not reconciled itself yet. And you begin to seek satisfaction or validation or gratification in any means other, other than God. You've already begun to slip down that slope of adultery. Already begun to slip down that slope of idolatry because you're saying, God, you're not, you don't mean as much to me. And waiting on you is not as important to me as having what I want right now. And what I, what I, what I need to fix the situation in my life right now. And here, here's something that, that, we, that we've got to realize also. The same as when a spouse's eyes begin to wander because they've started to underappreciate the one they've committed to love and receive love from. See, it's not our job just to love God. It's our job to know how to receive love from God. And, that, and, that's, and that's where, I think that's where we fall short many times. We, we sit here and we have this problem with, I, can't, I don't love God enough. I don't love God enough. No, the problem is you haven't received love from God the way you should. Otherwise, you'd be easy to, it'd be easily reciprocated back to him. When you learn how to receive love from God, just like, just like when you get married, it's not my job just to love my wife. It's my, it's my job to learn to let my wife love me. And that's hard sometimes with, when you've got stuff in your past, you've got things that, that kind of hang on you and things that you're trying to deal with. How can anybody, how can anybody love me? How can, I, how can I receive that love? Well, it's your job to receive that love. It's your job to learn how to receive that from God so you can get to in this place with God to where it's not a matter of I've got I've to try and make myself love God. No, I've received so much love from God, I can't help but pour it back out to Him. It's not an effort thing. It's not a striving thing. It's a matter of just sitting back and receiving the grace that God's got for you and allowing him to pour his love into your life and allow him to use that to, to um, fill you to, to the overflowing with that love so that you can re- reciprocate that back to him. And so when Gomer went after the things that her flesh desired, and in doing so she told herself to the, she, and in doing so she sold herself to the source of those, de- of those desires. See, what happens is when, when, when you sin... And when you, when you constantly step away from God, you sell a little bit of your soul to that sin. You can ask anybody that's dealt with a habit for 10, 20, 30, 40 years sometimes that, that it's, we wonder why we can't get over these things overnight, wonder why these things don't fall off us really quickly when we pray. And now I know God's got, got deliverance and God does magnificent and amazing things. But a lot of times, if you're going to break a 10, 20, 30 year habit, it doesn't just happen overnight. Why? Because you've sold your soul to that thing for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And so you've got to begin to grab your soul back from that thing. And it may take, I'm not saying it's going to take 10, 20, 30, 40 years because, because God redeems and restores quickly. But at the same time, you've got to get to the place to where the reason why you sold your soul to that in the first place, whatever hurt you were trying to cover up, whatever bondage was dealing, whatever drug you in the first place, when you get back and you deal with that, and you begin to uncover why you sold that in the first place, if you're trying to cover up a hurt, so you got into drinking, or you're trying to cover up, cover up that same hurt with with, um, with, with, with sexual activities or whatever, whatever you did, when you begin to uncover why that hurts there, then you begin to really release that bondage that's in your life and you begin to be able to take your soul back from those things that have been holding on to you for so long. But the, the problem is, we sit there and we, 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 for so long we cover things, we bury things, and we begin to pour things back on top of other sin, and, we, and that's one sin leads to another, and before we're, we feel like our soul is so far gone, we, we can't be retrieved anymore. And that's, that's the place that Gomer had gotten to. And so that sin's going to cost you far more than time and money. You know, at first, say, say, say you begin to use some alcohol to get, to get, over, to get over or to, to bring peace in your life or however you, want, however you want to say it. You get to that place, and yeah, at first it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you some time to go get it. But eventually it costs far more than that because why? Because it's costing you your soul. Not, and I'm not going to get the whole is drinking wrong or right issue. What I'm, what I'm going to say is if you're using it to bring peace, it's wrong. If you're using it, if you're using it, if you're using it to find comfort, it's wrong. We find peace and comfort in God and God alone. 
And so anytime you, 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 you take something that should be God, you take a situation or, or a hurt that should be, it should be given to God, and you give it over to something else, you begin to allow that to, to have a part of your soul, and it begins to grab a, grab a hold of you. And so the more you sin, the easier, it be, the easier it becomes. Why? Because every time you choose to sin, that another piece of your soul finally, finally goes over to that bondage. And you, you come to a place of complete bondage and inability to remove yourself from it. And, so, and this is the state of every man and woman until they come to a place of recognition of their helpless condition and they cry out in repentance. And so, here's where Israel was. This is, just, this is the exact place that Israel was in. They were, they were in a place of, it was, it was an absolute mess. I think if we were to walk into what we thought was, modern, what we thought was Israel back then, I think we would walk down the streets, we'd go, there's no way I'm in Israel. How can this be God's people? Because Israel was so bought into the idolatrous practices of the Baals that they were committing acts of human sacrifice. They were actually sacrificing their babies to appease, to appease certain gods. They were having public, public sexual acts, both with people and animals. And then not to mention the drunkenness and all the other, other junk that goes along with it. And so this was, this was God's people. This was people that were set apart to worship the one true living God. And they slipped so far back into all this mess that they didn't know who they were anymore. They've allowed so much other stuff to come in and mix in that, yeah, God is in there somewhere, but he's, he's, a, part, he's a part of a bunch of other things that we're worshiping, a bunch of other things that we're stuck on. And in our, in our, in our lives today, it's very easy to become that, that God becomes just another, another blip on our calendar. Okay, Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church. But then the rest of the week, we've got this, 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 this. And so it's really just look back and go, why could Israel, after seeing all that they saw, why could they go back and do all these things? Why could they turn their back on God? Well, after God rescued you from the pit, how can you bury him up? And all these other things that, that mean less than him. I'm not going to get into the, the whole ball schedule thing and all this other stuff because we've got kids in sports as well. But at the same time, they've got to understand that, that everything else falls, falls far, far below where God sits in their life. And so it's, it's, a, matter, it's a matter of priorities. And so don't let God become just another part of, you, part of your mix. Let God just talk about your mix with God and he'll, he'll straighten it out for you. Now the, the consequences of these actions that Hosea prophesied about were the... It, where the Israelites were taken over and enslaved by the Assyrians was simply a portrayal of what had already actually spiritually happened. And so what, was, what happened about 40 years after this, after, after Jeroboam went on and the next king came, well, about 40 years later, Assyria did come in and they, and they took Israel captive and they, and they led them all off and the Assyrians came in and, and occupied their country. But the problem with that is, is that had already happened spiritually. The physical act just hadn't taken place yet. And so it's the same thing in our life whenever sin gets a hold of us we may not look any different. We may not feel any different at the time. We may think we've got it under control. We may think that, that, it's, that it's all taken care of and that, you know what, I'm, I'm strong enough to, to dabble in this a little bit and then come back out. Now, if you already made that decision, you're already too weak to even think about it. Because the, the, the problem is, if your faith's at a point where you even want to mess with it, then your faith's already too weak to even think about messing with it. And so we've got, we've got, to, we've got, to, get to, we've got to get to the place to where we understand that before the captivity with Israel came, they were already held captive to all these idols and bondage anyways. The spiritual part was already done. The physical act just took place a few years later. It's the same place in our life at first. You know, well, I, I can do this, and I can do that, and I, I'll be fine, and I can, I can handle this, and I can handle that. But at, at first, yeah, it's fine. But eventually, it's going to come to a place where, yeah, it's going to change how you look physically. And you can cover it up for a little while, and you can put your, your Sunday morning church face on, and you can put enough makeup on to look okay. But eventually, it's going to come out physically. The things that are, you're, you're covering up spiritually are going to come out physically, and it's going it's to be a whole lot worse than if you just come to a place of, of reconciliation with God before, beforehand and let him handle it. Now let's talk about being broken hearted but not broken faithfulness. 
In Hosea 3, this is where God, God tells Hosea to go, re, go, and redeem his, go and redeem his wife. The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an, as in, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and, and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a, and a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. I will, I will behave the same way towards you. So it's, it's a beautiful picture. You've got you to understand that by this time, she had been chewed up, spit out, abused, and, and neglected by, by so many different men, by so many different things, acts that she had done. She, she, didn't even, she was just a hollow shell of what she used to be. She was just a, 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 just a, a frail, um, beat-up woman. She was, she was actually a slave now because she'd become so indebted to everything that she'd become a part of, all those things that she thought she controlled, all those things that she thought that she, she had a handle on, she'd become so buried up in those things that they now owned her. That they, they now had part of her. And so the very thing she sold herself to get before, now she was going and doing things so she could have those things because those things had got a hold of her life. And it's very easy to fall, fall into that trap. And so here's, here's Hosea walking, walking, through the, walking through the street and, and there's an auction going on. And here's who he thinks might possibly be the woman he married way back when upon the auction block being sold as a slave. Why? Because she bought herself into that place and the things that she thought she owned now owned her. And so the debt that she, she accrued by trying to keep, keep up these things, keep up living that life that, that she shouldn't be living, had, had, had left her broken and beaten and, and um, neglected and, and abused. And so she's up there and, and um, I'm, sure, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he had thoughts go through his mind and, and you know, I'm sure that one part of him was going, well, it serves her right. I'm sure that other part, other part of him was going, man, my heart breaks for her, but I don't think I want to buy her back. There's the other part going, well, I can buy her back and she can be my slave, just like she's that slave. You know, but here is God said, go, go, go take her back as your wife. And so he went, he only had, the, and he only had so much money, so he, he gave him all the money he had. And then he gave him some barley and stuff to make up for, for the excess that, that, um, that he couldn't pay. And so he took her. And begins to show, show love to her again and says, I'm not going to reinstate you as a slave. Because that's what he bought her. I mean, she could easy, he could easily have every legal right back then to, to keep her as a slave. And you say, well, you can just clean the house. And since you know your way around it already, you can clean the house. And you can take care of the kids. And you can do this. And, and I, can just, I can have a little bit easier because I've got a slave now. No, he goes, I'm not going to take you back as a slave. I'm going to reinstate you as my wife. I'm going I'm to put you back to the place of, of equal partnership with me in this marriage. Even though you're not a fraction of what you used to be. I'm going to begin the process of restoring and making, who, making you who, the, the woman that I married. And it's the same thing God does with us. God finds us a lot of times as a hollow shell of what he really planned for us to be. He finds us, he finds us in a deep, the deepest, darkest places, and he finds us bound up in so many different sins and so many different, so many different, so many different um, activities that we shouldn't be involved with. But he still says, you know, if you'll just reach out to me, I'll restore you to that place. And I'll, I'll, and I'll make you that co-heir with Christ again. I'll make you my son and daughter again. I just don't want you to be a slave. I want you to be, to be that child that I created you to be. And it's, the last, the last time I spoke, we talked, we talked about Romans 8, 28, how God's working these things out. You know, God still sees us as valuable and worthy because he chose to place value on us before, before we were born. And see, he was at the place in where you got to make a decision. When you get married, you, 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 um, you, t- you make wedding vows. And there's times you can ask anybody that's been married for any length of time that you're loving that person because you vowed to, not just because you're just really in love with them at the moment. We all go through those moments where, where you have what you know, some of us call intensive fellowship. And 
There's those times where you say, you know what, I'm just loving you right now because I vowed to love you. But same thing with God in this situation. God's like, you know what, because I gave my word to Abraham and I made a covenant, I'm not going back on my word. I'm going to ch- I choose to love you because I said I would. I choose to love you because, because that love in my heart has not changed even though, even though you have. And so we've got, to, we've, got to get back to, we've got to get back to that place where we understand that um, the, 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 the words we speak and the words that we live by are what, are what set us up. And, and, and especially, especially in our marriages, we've got to realize that we, 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 we made a vow to love. We made a vow to choose to love. Because sometimes love, sometimes love is not just something that just pours out of you. Sometimes it's a choice. And you've got to, you've got to get to that place to where we understand. And the same thing with God. The Bible says God cannot lie. And every, everything, every, the whole world is held together by the, by the word of his power. So we've got to understand that if one word of God ever became untrue, all creation falls apart. All creation, go, all creation goes nowhere. Because if, if, God, if, if what covenant God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made through Jesus, that he actually made with himself because man wasn't good enough to make that covenant, that covenant, if, if God went back on that covenant and that fell apart, then the words, let there be light, hold no bearing anymore, hold no weight anymore. And so all, all creation falls apart. Because, because, God, because God has put his, put, his, put his word above his name, is what his Bible says. Because if your word's not good, then your, then your name's no good. And so, here's, here's the action that God, God commits to us. It says, but God shows us his love, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when you're in that broken down, beaten up state, God, Jesus died for you. When you're, when you're in the place where you were rejecting him, and you, and, you, and you were saying all kinds of bad things about God, and you were blaming God for every situation that's going on in your life, and every problem you had was all God's fault, and all this, and you're running, and you're turning your back on God, God's still reaching out saying, hey, just come back. I still love you. I still died for you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, st- I still have a, a heart that beats for you. I still want, I still want, to, restu- re- I still want to restore a relationship that I, that I could have with you. Because even though we may have broken our vows of covenant to God, he's not broken his. And here's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It talks about the heart of our Father, and if the worst thing wants to go ahead and begin to come. Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not God's heart that we suffer. It's not God's heart that we go without the things we need. It's not God's heart that we, that we are, 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 are facing wrath and dealing with, dealing with all these things. That's not his heart. It says he desires mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't want you to, to have, to, to, have to, to go without things and, and be broken down and be beaten up and, and sacrifice your life because of the sin that you're dealing with. That's not God's heart. God's heart is saying, I've got mercy waiting right here if you just accept it. I've got love waiting right here if you just accept it. I've got, I've got life waiting here once again for you if you'll just accept it. That's his desire for you. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want you in a broken down state. He doesn't want you to suffer from the sin that you've committed. He's got mercy waiting. He's got grace waiting. We've got to, just, we've got to step into it. We've got to receive it from him. He wants to bless us. He wants to put us back to that place where we can be called his sons and daughters again. So the question tonight is, why let the enemy keep you in bondage any longer? It's, it's, one, it's one simple choice. It takes you realizing that you are worth everything to God. He gave, he gave, his, he gave his son. He gave, he gave the most precious thing in heaven because he valued you equally with him. He, he, you, you don't give up something that you love for something that you love less. He loved you so much that he said, you are worth, you are worth my son to me. You are, you are worth everything I've got in heaven. You are worth every angel. You are worth every, every, gold that pay, every bit of gold that pays my streets. You are worth that to me. I will give it all for you. And he did.
And he, wa- and he, wants, to, he, wants, to, he wants you to reach up and receive that. And the thing is, there's no way we can, we can, um, we can make up for that. There's no way we can equal up to that or, and live up to that. All we've got to do is sit back and receive it. All we've got to do is, is receive the work that he did for us. All we've got to do is allow him to pour that love into our lives. And he'll begin to show us just how good he truly is. He's got awesome, awesome plans for you. He's got awesome things he wants to bless you with. He's got, he's got a great life set aside for you to walk in. And here's the thing. A lot of us here tonight, I, I, know, I, know, I know most of us, are, are walking in a pretty good life. We're in a pretty good place with God. But if is there some part of your life that your soul has still got some bondage in? Is there, is there something in your life that you, that, you, that, you, that you day in and day out have to deal with not selling because, because you're still, you're still kind of hooked on that situation. You're still kind of caught up maybe in that sin. Or maybe you've still got some insecurity issues. Or maybe there's still some things in your life that, 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 you just, that are still kind of tugging at you and, and you still have to daily fight to try and get, get rid of these things in your life. Well, realize that you are worth far more than anything else to God. Realize that God's, that God's got great, great love set aside and waiting for you. And it's not, it's not a matter of trying to, to do, do this yourself. It's a matter of allowing His Spirit to come in and show you how much He loves you. And so you don't, you don't gotta, you don't gotta fear that sin. You don't gotta fear that addiction. You don't gotta fear that issue. Just allow that perfect love of God to come in and redeem and restore you. And let that love fill your heart and He'll show you just how much you mean to Him and how, how much He values you. Because He gave everything for you. And all, all He asks in return is that we give our lives to Him. If you would stand with me tonight. There's, there's just something about focusing on the love of God. There's just something about reading accounts like this in the Bible where in spite of all the, all the, all the wickedness, in spite of all the evil, in spite of all the shame, in spite of all the, the dirtiness and the immorality, the love of God still, still pours out to His people. The heart of God still beats for His people. And so no matter what you're in tonight, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're fighting, God's heart still beats for you. God's love is still waiting for you to, to run into his arms. He still, wants to, he still wants to bring you back to a place of, of reconciliation in him. And so tonight it's very simple. All you got to do is look up and say, God, I receive it. God, I don't know what it means to be really loved, but um, I know you can show me. And so you just open up your hands, open up your arms and say, God, I'm just going to take what you've got for me. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the, from the Father of lights. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a minute. Think about that spot in your heart. Think about that area in your life that maybe just needs a little bit more of the love of God. It doesn't need you to work at getting rid of it. It doesn't need you to, to try and, and manufacture something up, some emotion up. No, you just got to say, God, I receive your love over this sin. I receive your love over this depression. I receive your love over this insecurity. I receive your love over this hatred I'm feeling towards somebody else right now. I just receive your love in that area. And I ask that you take that area and just flood it with your love so that I can release that, so that I can overcome that, so that I know, Father God, I can go from this place in a, in a, in a, in a deeper and more intimate relationship with you because I've given up that one area that I've held on to for so long doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're backslidden. It just means that, that, there's, there's, that there's maybe just something that you need to let God work on. It's very simple. You say, God, please work on it. <laughs> we make it so hard sometimes. So I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to have about five minutes to come to the altar and pray. But don't leave here without allowing God to come in and
pour his love into your heart in a greater way.